Hello, and welcome to the 11th episode of, of Muggles and Mugbloods, a podcast where I, Tavi Whitman, together with Mona Musa, discuss Hi. the Harry Potter books chapter by chapter from a Muggle or Muggle-born perspective. This week, we are talking about the, chap- the 11th chapter of the Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone book, Quidditch. Mm-hmm. Now, you might think we would spend this entire chapter talking about Quidditch. We are not going to do that. Instead, we are going to be doing next week's episodes dedicated to Quidditch, featuring dum 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 Elsa Smedberg, the a member of the board of sorry. Sorry. Instead, next week, we are going to be doing an entire episode dedicated to Quidditch and the sport, both in Harry Potter in the, and in the competitive muggle world, which I, by that we mean the real world, our world, together with a member of the board of the Swedish Quidditch Federation, Elsa Smedberg. So that's going to be a lot of fun, and we're looking forward to that. That's going to be one hell of an episode. Yeah. So this week, we are instead going to be discussing some of the dissonances between muggle and wizard, wizarding um, society and the experiences of muggle-born students trying to acquire knowledge, um, the cultural knowledge when you, that you need to operate in the wizarding world. It's something that you would have a massive issue with if you were... For example, as a Muggle-born student introduced to the Wizarding World for the first time, and you have no context for celebrities, famous people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You don't know who's important, who's not. Uh, You don't know the significant cultural moments. So just like somebody that moved to a different country, you can make a massive misstep if you say the wrong thing, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Been there, done that so many times from the number of times I've traveled. Yeah. All those things. Like, for example, racial undertones, racial contexts are not the same everywhere in the world. For example, so if you think here in Sweden, people say India or Indian for people from India, but so Indian for people from North America, the, 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 First Nations population in North America. That is the term used in Sweden. That is an issue on the other hand in places like Canada, especially, and mm-hmm. more so in the States now. It, you have the Indian Act in Canada, and, which is considered significantly racist because of it being a massive mistake by Christopher Columbus. So yeah, it's 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 it's, it's a important thing to consider. So. Before that, we're going to do a 30 second recap, of course, and talk a bit about the chapter. But then we'll be t- we going, we're going into the qu- acquisition of cultural knowledge and context. Yay! <laughs> so, Mona, are you ready? Uh, I guess. Do I have any other choice? No! <laughs> but you're okay. lucky. This chapter really is one thing. Yeah. I can literally say Quidditch, 
full stop and I'm done. No, yeah. but so, th there, there is more to it. To there be, is so, more okay. to it. But this chapter is a Quidditch game, basically. So yeah. three, two, one, go. Quidditch season begins, and the first match is Slytherin and Gryffindor together. Snape catches Ron, Harry, and Hermione outside the school with um, a book and confiscates it while he's limping, causing Harry's suspicions to grow. And at the end of the day, um, Harry finds Snake and Filch, Snape and Filch in a room uh, bandaging Snape's leg after facing the three-headed dog. The next day, the match starts, and... Harry's the seeker waiting up far high in the sky, but apparently he's being controlled by Snape. Oh shit, seriously? Yeah, it's not much time, 30 seconds. Oh jeez. Not much okay. time. time. Uh, but I did enjoy you calling Snape Snake. <laughs> My phone kept off correcting. Uh, but it Snape. is somewhat accurate because he is the head of Slytherin House and a Death Eater, and yeah. the Dark Mark has a snake in it, so it's not entirely entirely inaccurate which is which is good yeah so this is an interesting chapter we are introduced to the most ineffective and poorly planned game in the history of wizard kind why is why was it poorly and ineffective? the rules of quidditch are stupid and we'll get into that next week oh yeah okay fair enough, fair enough. yeah we'll leave it there for now guys um to th start things off but one thing i want to mention before we move off of quidditch is that irritates me is that the the use of different models of brooms is essentially unfair and makes the sport impossible to judge objectively. If Harry is using a industry standard, like professional racing broom to search for the snitch, while the Slytherin seeker is not, that is the definition of an unfair advantage. Same thing with Lucius Malfoy buying brooms for everyone in book. Two. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Okay, so so let's talk about acquired knowledge, a little bit of Wanda's magic, and get into some of the nitty-gritty, right? I encountered a theory a few days ago on on Reddit, I think it was. Or somewhere. It was somewhere on the the depths of the Harry Potter fandom internet. Mm-hmm. Where I learned. Did you find it? A theory about about clubs and associations at Hogwarts, which is okay. an important factor. They have a fair deal of them um, documented. So we have, among other things, the Arts Club for Gryffindor. We have, I'm assuming they have similar things in both Slytherin, Ravenclaw, and Hufflepuff. Definitely Hufflepuff. We have the Rat Race Club, which is not career related. I think they're actually racing rats. Chudley Cannon's fan club. I assume they also have, you know, Hollyhead Harpies fan clubs, the Slugs and Bugs club, the Slug club itself. We have the Astronomy Club, Hogwarts Choir available from second year and onwards, Charms, the DA, Dueling, Cobblestones Club, the Gobstones Club, and of course, um, the Han Haunts the Ugly fan club. And other things, right? So we have a fair deal of extracurricular activities available, although only a couple of those are mentioned mm -hmm. and some are only featured in the books. So the theory I encountered is an idea about what's called the Mud Club or the Mud Blood Club. The idea is that Muggleborns are trying to reclaim the Muggle, Muggle Mud Blood word 
and create a, you know, mud, muggleborns only association. <laughs> something that technically Harry would be ineligible, ineligible for and therefore would not be invited, but Hermione would be. And the idea that I think this would serve is that, you know, be a fantastic way for all the muggleborns at Hogwarts to have a kind of social family unit regardless of their house. Obviously, there's only three houses represented, but it's still an important thing to consider that they might have some kind of social and, you know, wizarding okay. etiquette I, educational program. I have a few program. questions when it comes to this. Uh, what, like, I don't think it's that necessary to have, like, a muggle-born club because wouldn't they rather go and socialize in other clubs or with wizards, like, purebloods, rather than... I don't, I don't know. I think... I think for me, at least, I would experience a substantial value of having the cultural comfort of being able to refer to, you know, Brooklyn Nine-Nine <laughs> or like the good place <laughs> and, you know, uh, be able to, you know, make, make muggle with a joke, you know, like, oh, tell me what we really, really want. No, sorry. Um, things <laughs> like... <laughs> things like... Um, smuggling in pencil sharpeners to Hogwarts because, you know, quill isn't a great invention anyway, so might as well use your own thing. Or, like, things like that, infiltrating Hogwarts with, like, muggle technology and your, like, muggle cultural artifacts, you know, like, comic books and things like that. You know, you have your seventh year, your seventh year Gryffindor, Gryffindor Muggleborns bringing in, you know, muggle artifacts, things, well, not <laughs> artifacts, but, you know, muggle everyday items that don't exist in the Hogwarts world. Yeah, it reminds me like back in the school days where you bring in things aren't allowed and you'd be like selling them in secret and everything that the muggle borns would be doing that probably. Yeah, but they might even have, you know, besides Hermione, have like their unofficial guidebook to Hogwarts and like wizarding etiquette. <laughs> like That would be genius. But the question is how many muggle born Wizards and witches are there in order for them to establish a club? We're not really sure about that because we we have a number of students, a thousand students at Hogwarts, which is the number given by by Rowling. I disagree mm -hmm. with this number. We we'll, won't we'll get into that later on, but we know that there are a couple in Harry's year in Gryffindor guys, and we have mm -hmm. at least one girl. So we might have you know. 10, 10 or 12 per year, we would have per house, sorry, per, per year. So we met, so we have 20, sorry, we have like 10 per year total. And then we have, yeah, we have, you know, up to 70 members basically. Yeah, that's fair. Which is a substantial number. That is enough to, you know, maintain some kind of club. Uh -huh. So you might have like the, the cultural cheat sheet for <laughs> muggle-born students, you know, these are the big bands. These these are the taboos and things you can't say, you know. Yeah. You know, this is the nickel back of the wizarding world. You might like <laughs> their music, but you can't say you do. You know, the Weird Sisters are a classic. You cannot badmouth them no matter how much you dislike them. Yep. Okay, I, I know that feeling a bit too much, but yeah. Or, for example, Nicholas Femel is so-and-so, you know, famous and important witches and wizards that are part of the, you know, common knowledge, assumed knowledge, things that you wouldn't need to cite in a paper, right? You know, like, this mm. person is this person. Everyone knows this, right? Everyone knows who Grindelwald and Dumbledore and Voldemort and those people are. 
Yeah. And you you can't go around asking this shit. <laughs> I mean, didn't Harry do that at the start, asking around? Well, no, he, he wouldn't publicly go asking around, but he'd wonder who's that and who's that. But yeah. Yeah, but you ha- you can have these certain knowledge gaps. Yeah. Even years after you should have been able to fill them up, which is important to have this, for example. So I, I give you that point. I, yeah. I can't argue about it. It does make sense. Yeah. Yeah, there's a great um, How I Met Your Mother episode about this, you know, Encyclopedia. Oh my God, don't even get or, me started. Or Ted Mosby's Chameleon. Oh my God. Oh God. Throwback. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, we have this really important factor to, you know, consider. So I think it'd be really cool to have like a muggle-born club at Hogwarts, which is like a social, social net, you know, welcomes in the new students every year. To make sure that they feel welcomed and of course you know you have like for example you have uh black student associations at colleges and universities in sweden and canada in the states around the world right because these students sometimes feel outside of the regular social groups mm-hmm. obviously you do interact you do have friends that aren't black obviously um but it's still important to have that safety net, that, that voice, that representation, because there is stigma against you. There is a kind of racism against you. So it's important to have some kind of voice, right. some kind of, you know, representative, you know, the, the president of the Muggle Boards Association of Hogwarts speaks to Dumbledore if the Slytherins get out of hand. But also, wouldn't you expect for muggle-born like muggle-borns to know something about magic already to know things around beforehand they know a little bit like you do have hermione which is who's a massive nerd yeah just like reading hogwarts history but hogwarts history goes into the you know the factually documented history of hogwarts and a thousand years of history it doesn't go into wizarding pop culture references fair enough yeah. You know, like you you can't like it's not gonna talk about like every flavored beans and things like that, <laughs> which is you know which is something you'd be expected to know about. Mm. So you know it's 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 an interesting interesting subject to get into. Yeah. Um but I have a different thing I actually want to consider here, and that is the subject of and this is a fairly imp- big thing because the wizarding world is extremely severed from the muggle world, right? Like they obviously, judging by the fashion, at least as described in the books, later on in the movies, they wear muggle clothing all the time, apparently. That's fine. Yeah. At all. <laughs> Point of irritation for me. Um, wear your fucking robes. You don't know how to wear pants. They, yeah, but wearing clothes, they would blend in. They feel like more human, at least, than just robes and clothes the whole time. Yeah. Anyway, vocabulary, language, and expressions. Okay. And Why, like, there has, you know, we have a few examples. We have, we have things like Merlin's beard. Yeah. Right? 
or Merlin's, you know, sweaty right testicle. <laughs> uh, uh, things like this, expressions, swear words, curse words. There's no reason why the Wizarding World should ha would have the same, like, linguistics as the, with the Muggle World. Like, you don't ha wouldn't have the same history, the same expressions as Muggle, Muggle yeah. cases. They, they wouldn't so, have the same experience. They wouldn't be exposed to it. So obviously, we can't expect this of a children's book. But I can imagine that there would be a kind of like jarring dissonance there the first few months of being a muggle-born Hogwarts student that you're like, I'm sorry, what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> it's like, what was that word? What are you talking about? Yeah, like it's it could be a, an issue, and if you don't interact with people, you might develop a different accent. So you could have like you could literally have you know this kind of the wizarding population has a certain dialect, a certain way of speaking, right? Yeah. In contrast to the Muggle-born students, the same because if a population lives in isolation, they can develop a different kind of language. You might have you know. The wizard speaking a kind of creolized um, English. You'd have like a similar sim similarity to the language, yeah. but you'd have like different expressions. Maybe some words were changed. Some words obviously would not exist at all. You know, like refrigerator would not exist, for example, because you know you wouldn't have that because they wouldn't we need, it. need that because you just yeah. like magic something up. <laughs> so. Okay, I think I've gone down a rabbit hole, haven't I? Uh, yeah. I've gone down in a massive rabbit hole. Uh-huh. Great. <laughs> but, but, so but I'm, I'm still following, so that's good at least. If, if I'm yeah, lost, is, that means everyone else is lost. This is the Tavi Wickman goes down the rabbit holes and Mona, Mona pull, pulls them back up podcast. <laughs> Thank you for making it to episode 11, everyone. So, <laughs> um, a few other things we were talking about and hoping to discuss in this episode. There, there are actually a couple more things. And that, one of those is, you know, Wanda's magic. Mm -hmm. And the issues around that, you know, how, you, how we look at those things. So we have, for example, the students at the Ugandan Wizarding School, Uagadu. Wagadu, mm -hmm. not Wagadugu, which is the <laughs> capital of Burkina Faso. I have a different podcast where I was talking to somebody working in Burkina Faso, which is why we're having this issue right now. But in the mountains of Uganda, mountains of the moon to be exact, we have the wizarding school there. And that tradition does not actually have a wand using tradition. Of course, they do have people that use wands, but they are. The students there are considerably more adept at using wandless magic than those that have been brought up relying on wands, such as the students at, for example, Bowbatons, Durmstrang, and Hogwarts. Oh, damn. I didn't know there was a school in Uganda for magic. See, Somewhere this I know. is one of the issues I have, JK, actually, and this is the thing we, we can end here, is that there are a a few schools confirmed. We have, of course, we have one in Japan. Mm -hmm. 
which is, sounds awesome. We have the um, Ouagadou in Uganda. We have Bobetons. We have Durmstrang in Northern Europe. We have Hogwarts. And we have, of course, the Ilvermorny School in North America, Quebec-ish. This is not enough schools to educate the entire magical population. Yeah, but also it depends on the, the, the population. Yeah. But we... We'll get into this later, but I am fairly confident that the required population of wizards in England to fit the described society that they have would mean a substantially higher number of students at Hogwarts. And if England is any indicator, they would have an equal or plus minus some small percentage point amount of wizards in each country. England being 60 million people, mm. you could definitely count on Japan having a much larger, if not more, wizarding schools in Japan. Maybe. Or Uganda, for that matter. Yeah. And I would most likely, ex I would expect the wizarding world in, for example, North America to have, you know, you'd have a couple, one on the East Coast, Midwest, a something in Louisiana, somewhere up north in Canada, things like that. You'd have, have a selection having, of... Having that many schools, though, would, would expose magic. No. It, it, I think it would because like having that many locations in different countries would expose the wizards and witches because they would also need less travel. Yeah, but at the same time it helps, you know, getting witches and wizards together. It helps like create a community rather than having like one or two in every single country. That wouldn't work. I think it's necessary because Hogwarts would have to be absolutely gigantic and it's not. It's too small as it is, as it is, and it would have to be much bigger to accommodate the wizarding population of the UK, but it would have to be so much bigger if it would have to cover multiple countries. Obviously, you'd have maybe a Nordic school, you'd have you'd have a few in North America, you'd have a couple, you'd have one in Brazil, you have one in Brazil actually, and you have a few more in Central Latin America, you have one in the Caribbean and so forth, and you'd have, you know, you wouldn't have one for every country, but you'd have one certain for every region. dynamic et ethnic groups, that kind of stuff. So you might mm. have, you know, a, you'd have the American wizards in, from Louisiana, the French Creole, going maybe and studying with the witches and wizards from Haiti and things like that. You'd have that kind of interchangeability. You wouldn't have the same consideration for national borders, for example. Mm-hmm. But with that said, <laughs> and me nerding out and um, giving my theory about how and where and what you, how you should place wizarding schools, we will get into this later on when we talk about demographics, which will be our first really uh, poli-sci flex episode, right, Mona? Yes. Finally, I can put my skills to use. We'll be back again next week with, chap with episode 11 of Mugs and Mudbloods, together with Elsa Smiedberg, who is a member of the board of the Swedish Quidditch Federation. We look forward to having you there, and we will talk all about Quidditch in reality and, of course, in Harry Potter. Until yeah. then, have a great weekend, and we'll see you all next week. Bye!